podcast is powered by Tokensoft. Tokensoft is the all-in-one solution for Web3 projects. Identity verification, fundraising, distribution, and foundation management, we've got it all. Visit tokensoft.com to learn more. Welcome to the Friend Zone presented by Tokensoft. Today I'm here with Slater from Blueberry Protocol. Blueberry Protocol is a innovative, new, decentralized borrowing and lending platform. Slater, it's a pleasure to have you here today. I appreciate you guys having me. And, uh, this is my first time learning the name of the podcast is the Friend Zone. Man, I, I just got Friend Zone. Rough. Rough. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you guys having me. We make uh, getting Friend Zoned fun. <laughs> Um, so tell us about Blueberry Protocol. What are the origins of Blueberry Protocol like? What was it that sort of uh, inspired you to uh, build it as it is? Yeah, so uh, definitely coming from the background that I came from, uh, it's originally kind of large-scale ad commodities trading. Uh, you have all the all the very liquid instruments that you might want to use to manage your risk or speculate uh, and uh Coming into DeFi, pretty new emerging market with a lot of different products, uh, markets, and, and turning turning things that have counterparty risk into smart contract risk instead, uh, but in a non-custodial format uh, is a really interesting idea at the core. And so uh, I got really interested in it in about 2020, or really 2017 originally, but in DeFi and around 2020, um, and started using all the different DeFi platforms. Ended up starting a, a DeFi fund called Zero One Capital. It's not huge, but uh, and largely self-funded. But uh, that's all I did every day was just use different DeFi protocols. And and I don't know, coming from ad commodities uh, to to DeFi, it's very cool. But there's definitely a lack of infrastructure and uh, and more sophisticated, uh, customizable ways to put on trades. And it's kind of a bummer because there's so many unique traits that exist in DeFi, right? Where you can take advantage of the composability that's native to crypto assets to maybe string one or two or three or five protocols together into one big trade where you're arbitraging rates and taking different deltas at, at different levels. Um, but there's no real like prime brokerage where you could take that entire trade of five things put together and lever up on that, right? Or, or uh, manage it all. From one place, so that's kind of what we set out to build, kind of a, a terminal for DeFi that understands the risk of the rest of the types of trades that you can take in the space, allows you to combine them together, and, and allows you to access them with leverage. It was kind of the vision that I had. It was the product that I always wanted to use, managing the fund. Um, and so that's what we set out to build, and uh, it's definitely has more work to go. But uh, I think we have a pretty good, pretty good MVP out there, and uh, and yeah, can kind of continue to integrate the rest of DeFi as we go. And we might be diving into this a little bit too early, but um, it sounds like there's a broader vision for this. So it sounds like loans is just the first building block to something much greater. So talk a little bit about where you're looking to to take this long term. Yeah. And so, I mean, to an extent, like the framework is there uh, already with the MVP. But uh, but yeah, it is a, it's a money market at the core, but that's basically where you get the liquidity to access leverage from. So like a typical prime broker model in TradFi, right? It's like it's a big pool of money from a bank and they decide based on the trade that you're taking and the collateral that you're providing, how much risk that you can realistically put on, what your loan to value ratio should be, et cetera. <clears throat> so it's kind of the same concept as Blueberry. It's a true kind of prime brokerage model where you have a money market at the core and then the money market understands all the different trades that exist in DeFi. And uh, the relative risk levels of those trades and the assets inside those trades and uh, the smart contract risk associated with those trades to the best of your ability, right? It's a hard thing to kind of pin down. Um, and uh, basically issues a unique loan to value ratio that you can borrow with depending on what actual combination of collateral asset, debt asset, and deployment is. So that's kind of like the first part, right? It's like attaching a money market to all the trades that can exist in DeFi. And the second part is like the user experience side where, you know, I think people in DeFi in general like to feel like we're very smart. And uh, so a lot of people like to use their own tooling and Google Sheets or whatever whatever tools you use to manage your positions um, and kind of do a lot of the work themselves. But I don't know, no matter how sophisticated your hedge fund is, uh, I still think it makes sense to be able to see a live PL 
like basic stuff like that and a pretty simple user interface for accessing the different things in DeFi. So that's kind of what, what Blueberry is at V1. Um, but there's just a lot of integration work to do, right? To like have all of DeFi exist within that platform and uh, be able to support some of the newer products where the smart contract risk is a little bit less battle tested, maybe monitoring solutions or a solution to that. I don't know. There's a lot, of, a lot to get in there too, into there. But, uh, but yeah, that's the vision. Money market combined with kind of trading terminal that understands what's the DeFi and can issue unique LTVs based on the trade you're taking. Interesting. I, I feel like your experience as a veteran DGen is really giving you like a perspective that a lot of people don't have. I feel like a lot of these protocols are built by developers. And I think it's it's very fortunate you've been able to build up that experience uh, managing a fund and you know getting really active in creative positions to sort of build this out. And uh, why is it called Blueberry? <laughs> Honestly, I'm not, <laughs> so I appreciate that. First of all, thank you. Uh, I, I think that's one of the unique things about us as a team is like very much building for use cases rather than building for like new tech and like whatever the new shiny object or buzzword is. Um, try to pride ourselves on that, even though it's not always VC's favorite things, which is okay. But uh, but uh, um, uh, to answer your question about the name, uh, I am not a good namer of things, and so. We went back and forth on a bunch of different things. And then one day, John, my co-founder, just said Blueberry. And I was like, yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. I feel like it, I feel like it walks the line between DGen and professional, where like there's been a lot of it makes sense to kind of pay some homage to to the previous fruits and, and foods of of the past in DeFi while still not being like a like a cake or or like a yam or something, you know, a fruit that can be taken a little bit more seriously, I guess, was was the idea. And uh and we ran it by like 20 different people. People liked it. And so uh, we just kind of went forward with it. But yeah, I've gotten I've gotten mixed feedback uh, on it over the years, but I, I feel like it kind of walks the line the best we can. So you're saying the name is not associated with your background in agricultural no. commodities trading? No, no, and we did not trade any blueberries. It was very boring stuff, sadly. <laughs> and it's not named after a ludicrous song. And um, so building out, out this team, um, is this a protocol you launched yourself? Like, did you develop it yourself? Did you build out a team to do it? And what was your methodology around, you know, growing out the team? Yeah, so I'm the non-technical guy for the most part and uh, started off with just John and I. So John was founder of a few different uh, NFT projects and worked on a bunch of different DeFi projects, kind of like 2020, 2021. We were just in a group chat uh, talking about mostly trading uh, back when I was managing the fund. And uh, and uh, we started bouncing just a bunch of ideas off each other. We kind of just got along naturally and and he, he is technical. And so uh, eventually kind of just agreed on this vision. The bear market was hitting and we're like, all right, let's give this a shot. And uh, got one of my friends that I'd kind of worked with in previous non-Web3 companies, just give us a small seed investment to basically build an MVP, build a proof of concept. And uh, um, hired a few kind of offshore devs that uh, didn't end up sticking with the team long-term. And we learned pretty quickly that uh, <laughs> you really do need people fully bought in, especially when you're trying to build like a primitive, right? And like think something that's completely new in this space that are like willing to iterate and like put their heads down and, and uh and and also be partially token incentivized with upside right and so uh unfortunately we had to learn that the hard way but uh but then yeah team we have now is really great everybody's us based and uh um actually not not everybody but everyone on the dev team is us based and uh that's really helped with communication and i think that's one of the things we've learned the most is, is just having that full buy in having people that really believe in in what you're doing and and are are willing to want the thing to be created, right? Like want it to actually exist and want to create something new or, or not just in it for the money. If you don't have that, it's going to be hard to build something new. Um, so that's definitely a focus for us going forward. And then uh, um, I have some TradFi experience, right? But uh, we, we've gotten pretty deep into the RWA side of things as well with uh, one of our sister products. And so went out and, and got a growth lead that had a lot of like 20 year IB history and uh all the big trad by institutions and uh, thought that was a gap that we needed to fill. So it's uh, our, our head of BD, Arthur. Um, and then, yeah, our, our dev team is mainly from a balancer um, or a, in a few different places. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's the team right now, but we're only, we're only six people full-time uh, and then two part-time as well. And then marketing firm. Very cool. Yeah. Culture is, is really, really important. I feel like it either 10 X is the progress or it just impedes and, 
uh, kneecaps it. And uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to learn that. I feel like it's very true. And uh, yeah, once we, it's so obvious in retrospect now that now that we have kind of a, a solid team with a good culture. Like I feel like we've made more progress in four months than we made in like two years before that. And so it's it's very true, especially in this space. Life is funny. And um, talk a little bit about the, you know, how does the protocol actually work under the hood? Um, you you talk about, you know, on, on your website, you have some interesting leverage numbers um, that it seems are, are possible with the product. Um, but what what's going on under, hood, under the hood? What's, you know, different versus what's going on out there today? Um, so I guess the, it's not, I wouldn't really call it primitive, I guess. I mean, this kind of is, but... Uh... It's a sophisticated primitive. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's it's a very sophisticated, innovative primitive. The the position NFT, um, where basically we're just combining collateral debt and the position that you're creating with the borrowed funds into one kind of object, right? That can have its own net PL. Um, and I think generally leverage products have always had an account-based system before Blueberry. And an account-based system is great because you have a lot of flexibility. You can kind of like take a cross-margin approach, right? But uh our goal with Blueberry is to maximize capital efficiency as the main goal, is to maximize the amount that you can borrow for whatever your use case for borrowing is. And that's kind of coming from the understanding of how TradFi works, right? Um, and, and I mean, very simple example, it's like a mortgage, right? Mortgages, you can put like 2% down in some cases. And the reason you could take 50x leverage on a mortgage, which is what you're doing if you're putting 2% down is because a bank, can ultimately claim not only your collateral, your down payment, but also the position, right? The 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 house, if you don't pay your debt. So that's basically how a position NFT works, right? If you can't repay your debt or the position that you created loses more than the down payment or the collateral that you put in, the position NFT gets liquidated, but each NFT and each position is created and, and parameterized uh, uniquely. Where if let's say, your strategy is going to be to borrow ETH and purchase ETH, right? Like take a delta neutral trade like that, basis trade like that. Um, if you provide wrapped Bitcoin collateral or Pepe collateral, even though it's not an option, just to give the example, even though that's a basis trade and your your PL is going to be pretty pretty low volatility on the ultimate trade, there's still a different risk risk profile depending on which collateral asset that you're using. And of course, there's a different risk profile depending on what borrow asset that you use, right? So when you have an account-based system, generally your only risk lever is either, if you're like a leverage trading platform, it's like your max leverage is like 10X is pretty common design, right? Where all the assets are then considered in that 10X bucket. I and mean, all the trades that you can take are considered in that 10X bucket. And, and the reality of your system then is then, some trades that can be taken actually should be well above 10x, right? And some trades that can be taken maybe should be a little bit lower, or you had to eliminate some of the assets that you wanted to include in the platform because they don't work with that 10x account level, right? So it's more work to design a system that's position by position and completely unique parameters depending on your unique combination of collateral debt and deployment. But that is how you maximize capital efficiency is by understanding that complete relationship. Um, and so that is how Blueberry works and kind of how the secret sauce, I guess. It's not secret, but yeah. It's not secret anymore. And uh, tell us a little bit about how liquidations work. Um, is the smart contract liquidating it? Is it sort of peer-to-peer, -peer, like, you know, make or die? Like, how does the liquidation actually work? Yeah, it's a decentralized liquidation uh, market. So it's like any other, uh, we do run one from the DAO um, and we're probably going to launch a community pool soon where people just want to run liquidations. But uh, to be fully transparent, like the design of Blueberry is to be a little bit more favorable to borrowers than it would be to liquidators on other platforms. And that's why we have like the DAO pool that uh, does liquidations itself because our goal is to maximize capital efficiency and offer the best possible user experience for borrowers. Um, and it's okay for us to take a little bit of a tighter margin. Um, uh, and to anybody who's participating in liquidations to take a little bit of a tighter margin. So you're welcome to come participate. Uh, yeah, it's simple. You just repay the debt for NFT and you get the rest of the position, depending on the, the leverage, your margin will vary a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like other lending markets in that regard. Yeah, you're right that it's always been a little bit, I, I feel like 
there needed to be something that's more favorable to borrowers because traditionally I feel like uh, it's really profitable to be a liquidator because you can just go, you know, pull a bunch of levers, uh, see see which one yields yields money. And, you know, these are large positions that are out there. They're not, uh, they're not tiny. And, you know, the amount of effort to do a tiny position versus a larger one to liquidate it, it's, it's the same. Right. You're just using a flash loan anyway, right? <laughs> it's yeah. not like you're really risking your own capital anyway. Yeah. Exactly. And um, talk a little bit about um, the B token. Um, what, what, how does that work? And uh, how does that sort of function in the system? The, uh, you talking about like the BD token, the, 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 the bonded blueberry, or are you talking about uh, the, like the lending receipt token? Can you, can you take us through both? I think it'd be important to sort of understand both sides of that. Um, so one is related to like the governance token. So blueberry is a fairly classic governance token model uh, of a bit more value accrual mechanisms baked in. Um, is that what you meant though, or you want to get to the token later on in, in the conversation? That's what BDPLB is about. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Um, I'm I'm more interested in the positions and the mechanics, you know, under the hood there. Sure, sure. So yeah, so B token is uh, there's actually a few different components to Blueberry Lending Markets. So uh, to make the kind of position NFT system work, um, we have like a classic receipt token for when you just deposit as a lender, right? But uh, when you are Depositing collateral for a position, it's a slightly different receipt token that then works in what's called the the hard vault, um, which then kind of manages position NFTs and uh, and talks to the position NFTs. So uh, if you just deposit lend assets single sided, you get an IB token or an interest bearing token, um, uh, just kind of like an, an A token on Ave or a C token on Compound, um, pays you the interest, appreciates versus. Uh, uh, exchange rate appreciates versus the underlying asset itself. Um, and then the the B token is the one that kind of sits in the hard vault and uh, you hold when you're posting collateral for a position. That collateral does still earn yield. It just has a little bit of a technical differentiation for it to be compatible with the leverage position creation, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and uh, how are assets sort of uh, added to the the platform what's what's the process for that and I'm I'm also noticing you guys have a very interesting uh, delisting uh, criteria which is very important I feel like I, I I never ran into that concept before so talk a little bit about you know what gets things integrated what qualifies them for getting kicked out and what that looks like yeah for sure so um, I think our general approach to governance. Uh, is kind of like a democratic republic. And, and I think it just relates to a wider trend that we have in DeFi lending markets specifically, which is kind of the movement from super generalization to hyper specialization, right? And, and gaining more capital efficiency as you make that transition. The problem with specialization in lending is that it introduces complexity, right? And so as you introduce more complexity, it's much harder to manage a more complex system in the full democracy, right? And so uh, not everybody knows how to manage a complex system and, and they shouldn't, right? It's, it should be a kind of specialized job. Um, so the approach that we've taken kind of from, from day one, or I guess day negative 180, um, is to work with Gauntlet um, uh, from a very early stage and kind of have them be the centralized, decentralized risk department, right? Where they're at an arm's length from us and uh, they ultimately have the final say and what parameters should be for any kind of unique combination of collateral debt and trade. Um, and uh, and that contract will keep going for at least the first year of operations. Um, but at that point, uh, the, the DAO will be able to elect who they want to manage risk and actually set the parameters. And uh, of course, that's slightly different from what you asked in terms of listing and delisting. Right now, for the first few months, uh, listing and delisting will be done by the kind of core team, a composable corp. Um, then it'll move to a completely DAO-operated model afterwards. But even then, Gauntlet, or the kind of risk delegate, if it's not Gauntlet later on, will have the final say in whether or not something can be implemented, right? And so the DAO will vote. If a collateral asset should be added or a lend borrow asset should be added or a strategy should be added, 
Gala will give the final stamp of approval or whoever the future risk management department is, will give the final stamp of approval and say yes or no and decide what the actual amounts and uh, parameters related to those assets should be. Um, and I think it kind of has to be that way. I mean, even the large money markets that are super decentralized still operate that way. It's so, uh, yeah. Have you seen any uh, system that's completely decentralized where there is no sort of acceptance criteria or delisting criteria? Have you seen any system that has worked successfully out there or do they all have to be sort of pretty actively managed? I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of success, right? Like you could say Rari was a big success in a lot of ways, but like there's a lot of, if you make something completely permissionless when it comes to lending borrowing, like not every single person that wants to earn yield and can participate in lending and borrowing understands all the risks associated with liquidity and lending and borrowing. So if you make a completely permissionless system, people are just going to get scammed over and over again because some dev is going to put $10 million of his brand newly minted altcoin into a lending market and put $2 on the other side. But it's going to look like, because of the way he priced it on UniB3, that the token is worth hundred million dollars in market cap and therefore you should lend against this very legitimate asset and I was basically saying yeah I think the libertarian in me like would love to see uh complete permissionlessness work but I, I think we're just still in a phase of the market where um most useful lending products require at least some discretion from uh, some centralized party. Maybe AI is the solution to that eventually, right? Like maybe we have an AI risk manager where now you can fully decentralize and code operate what parameters should be and what assets should and should not be added. But uh, but yeah, there still is an element of humanity and really all risk management, uh, even in DeFi uh, at this point. And that's just, I think, where we are. Are you saying that uh, libertarian thinking and decentralized cryptocurrencies have no intersection in, in values is... Uh... Is it just not possible? No synergies there? No, there's a ton of synergies. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. I was like, you're joking? But, uh, but there's a compromise, okay? Everyone has to compromise, as fun as it is to be idealistic, unfortunately. <laughs> and I, I feel like um, for stuff like this, it's just more uh, fragile at the beginning until you reach a pretty large steady state where, you know, the uh, smaller cap tokens... Um, the gaming of them can't significantly uh, destabilize the protocol. It feels like, you know, until then, it's good to have some safeguards, be a little bit more careful. For sure. You know, honestly, what I would love to see, this is actually something I thought about really early on when we were developing Blueberry. It was like, what if we could really push, it's just kind of just too much work to do and maybe it's impossible, but like, what if you could really push the standardization of liquidity requirements and like locked liquidity requirements for like any product that or any any market that launches right like in that case you could kind of programmatically assign risk for any asset but because liquidity provision is permissionless you can't trust liquidity you can't make risk management completely automated yeah. i am seeing so one concept i really love is uh the tvl caps that sometimes protocols put on 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 their on their apps and the reason is at the beginning, you just don't know what you don't know. Uh, you don't know if there's a vulnerability. You don't know if there's some uh, sort of economic attack that's possible. And so whenever I see projects with TVL caps, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I have a little bit more respect for the project because they're looking for a more gradual launch. Um, they're a little bit more careful. Um, and is that something that's possible in a protocol like like Blueberry or in the world of loans is maybe to cap these newer uh, protocols so they don't destabilize the system and sort of overtake the aggregate, you know, TVL. Yeah, for sure. And so that's something we already have in place too. It's, it's one of the, so all of our parameters are like, uh, there's, a, there's a max strategy borrow cap for the aggregate strategy itself. Um, there's like a max cap for any specific protocol integration as well. And like it's ratio of the total borrow of the lending markets. And uh, um, there's a max lending market size for each kind of asset related to its total liquidity. And then there's a max individual position size, um, which kind of controls the slippage related to any one opening or closing of, of, a of a position. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can be thoughtful about that stuff, but uh, but still... 
I don't know how helpful. The thing is about new protocols is like honestly, your biggest risk is smart contract risk, right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna integrate a new protocol, um, it's like kind of a doesn't really matter if you cap it, right? It's it's like it's either it's going to get exploited or it's not in a lot of cases, and uh, that's the that's the tough part. Well, I'm I'm noticing also you guys uh, use Chainlink oracles for a lot of this stuff, and I think the other thing is um, these oracles for newer tokens can be gamed. Right, and so that that obviously is I, I don't know it's multifaceted. I feel like there's smart contract risk, there's economic risk, there's oracle risk. Um, talk through how the oracles work in your system. Like when do they come into play, and and how are you guys thinking about it? Yeah, for sure. So there's a few different roles for oracles in the system. Um, the first is just like pricing tokens, of course, right? Like any lending market would use uh, Chainlink oracles for. Um, in cases where you, we cannot, or, or a token does not have a Chainlink Oracle, but we do have a very solid use case and strategy for it within the prime brokerage, um, we will sometimes rely on alternatives. Um, and uh, I think some of the alternatives have gotten pretty good recently, uh, but yeah, definitely Chainlink is still kind of the gold standard standard there, and uh, we're pretty closely aligned with them. So and that uh, try to try to use those whenever possible. Um, but then there's also the role of oracles with pricing strategies themselves and, and liquidity pools, right? So this is still not a territory that a lot of oracle providers have really gotten into. It's like actually assigning a price to a, a dual-sided liquidity pool, especially when it comes to curve pools. Um, and so curve and uh, convex and balancer and aura balancer are all things we've spent a lot of time as a team, like developing uh, unique solutions for and uh uh, learning how to price ourselves. And uh, I think that's something that generally the the industry could really use because there is so much capital efficiency to be gained by levering against those kind of assets uh, or even rehypothecating those assets eventually, right? And uh, the pricing mechanism for for liquidity pools and kind of more exotic assets is, is, is very necessary. But yeah, often something that we have to do ourselves internally and a, a lot of lending markets have have been starting to do as well. You can't rehypothecate in crypto, can you? I thought that was a TradFi thing. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about restaking because I don't know. I feel like I don't know what your, what your take is on this, but uh, of course you can. I mean, I know your question's rhetorical, and uh, and uh, and and rehypothecation is not necessarily a bad thing by definition. I think it really gets a bad rap um, because. People are so used to kind of equating that with leveraging um, and and just kind of understanding it in the traditional banking sense, I guess, where it does lead to a ton of leverage. Um, but uh, but it doesn't have to mean leverage. It doesn't necessarily have to introduce risk to a system as long as it has clear rules. I think rehypothecation is bad if you can lie. And I think in, in crypto, it's just all very transparent and clear. And so... I feel better about the concept in crypto, but when it comes to paper contracts, when we see, you know, what happened to 3AC, um, you know, Genesis had some issues, uh, and it feels like it's it's the centralized uh, systems or the centralized just uh, contractual obligations that tend to have issues when it comes to rehypothecation. And it's not all, you know, malicious, but it seems to be, you know, a lot more common than, you know, anything adverse happening in the crypto space. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, that's the main problem with TradFi is people can lie and uh, people do lie because markets get competitive and you have to find a way to beat your competitor. Um, if you can lie, why not at some point? Right. Or at least that's why some people think and the other guy starts to think that way it increases the floor for competition and ends up being the end result. But yeah, that's the beauty of crypto cryptographically verifiable rule sets and smart contracts. Yes, you can audit everything for yourself. Okay, so uh, let's get into, um, you know, a lot of these loan protocols, they have stable coins. Is there a stable coin in the Blueberry ecosystem or is there not? And uh, might there be one in the future? There are actually two separate protocols. So just to make the kind of entry structuring clear for, for us, uh, I'm the founder of Composable Corp, which is a dev shop based in the US, uh, but we are truly a dev shop, right? Where we develop things. And so uh, Blueberry has an independent board of directors and kind of ownership out of Panama. And uh, we are the contracted dev shop 
to do pretty much all the dev work and a lot of the growth stuff, at least for the beginning, for the first few years of Blueberry Protocol's operation. Um, but then uh, an additional product that kind of started off as a piece of Blueberry, uh, Blueberry Corp still owns a piece of the IP of, um, but it has kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, was originally called Bloom in V1, and uh, its V2 is being called Stake Up. And so uh, Stake Up at a, at a high level is a yield-bearing stablecoin that derives yields from lending corporate loans over collateralized by U.S. Treasuries. And uh, I'll get into why this is important in a second. Um, but yeah, um, it is re related to Blueberry in the sense that there will be a lot of integrations there and uh, Blueberry Corp owns the IP, right? But uh, but it is uh, a new company or uh, sorry, a new protocol uh, with its own token. And very importantly, uh, no relation to Blueberry governance. Uh, I'm actually finishing up an article now I'll post soon about like, designing the perfect stablecoin. Like, we really strongly believe that the perfect stablecoin is in a non-upgradable format. Um, and, uh, and so that is the way stakeup works. It's completely non-upgradable and uh, unfuckwithable is the goal. Uncensorable is the goal. Um, and so uh, so uh, doesn't have anything to do with, with, with Blueberry governance either and kind of its own utility token. SUP. Um, so yeah, should I should I get into how it works a little bit? I'm I'm interested to learn a little bit about what you mean by corporate loans, um, because this is the crypto world. So, what does that mean? Yeah. So this is kind of a model that I think Maple and, and Clearpool first innovated on, and uh, and kind of realized. Well, we have this problem with getting RWA yields into DeFi. Why do we have this problem? Because in DeFi, things are permissionless by nature. And that's like the main feature, right? Is composability and that you can stack things on top of each other and kind of use these money Legos. So if that is the main feature, but most RWAs are securities and therefore require KYC procedures in the US and US users can obviously access permissionless networks. So if we're gonna deploy something on a permissionless network and it's a security, you can't have composability. So what's the point at that point? You're adding on smart contract risk, you're adding in fees. Why do it? Not much demand for it. However, if you can find an RWA that is not does not meet the definition of a security, um, it can be freely transferred and does not always require KYC procedures. And so uh, so uh, this is kind of what Maple and Clearpool realized originally. And the, the kind of core realization is that, well, loans are treated differently than... Uh, assets like equities, right? Where there's different tests. Everyone's familiar with the Howey test at this point, where common enterprise, all the good stuff. Um, it's kind of applies to most equities versus commodities, whatever. Uh, but loans are a totally different beast, right? A totally different animal. And so uh, generally when you're looking at a loan, you have the Reeves test and the family resemblance tests, but it's a lot less clear. I mean, even Howey's not very clear, right? But, uh, but, uh, the general sense and, and the point of the SEC is to protect investors, right? So the general design of the laws behind loans is about how can we protect investors and make sure that only accredited investors that are fully KYC'd and bounds um, can access risky loans that the average man should not be able to understand, right? Or the non-financial person should not be able to understand. Um, but that doesn't mean all lending is illegal and you have to go through a securities law registration process, right? That would be kind of absurd. Like you can obviously lend your buddy money and that's legal. You could draft up a contract for it, but you don't have to register it as a security. And so uh, this kind of framework for, for when it comes to corporate loans um, generally has kind of two rules of thumb. The first rule of thumb is around the duration of the loan. So a lot of the precedent shows if the loan is over nine months, it tends to be a security. If the loan is under nine months, it tends not to be a security. Um, but the more important aspect is around the risk profile, again, of the loan. So is it a super easy, predictable outcome for the loan where you're over collateralized, for example? Or is it something where there's a high risk of, of defaults or non-full -re non repayment, right? Um, in that case, probably is more likely to require to be registered as a security. So all of this to kind of set the stage for the way Bloom and Stake Up works, where the loan is a six-month loan to a market maker. 
So Maple and Clearpool, it's also a six or sometimes 12 month loan to a market maker. And there was no collateral, right? The argument was that a market maker is a low enough risk business that the chance of default is pretty low. Therefore, this should not be considered a security. But in our case, on Bloom, you're actually, if you're the market maker, you're required to over collateralize the loan by 102%. And you're required to over collateralize it with tokenized treasury bills issued by backed finance. The tokenized treasuries are registered under a Swiss DLT program. The lender has a legal claim, or sorry, the, the borrower has a legal claim on those underlying assets. All the custodian does is hold those assets. So you actually have a legal process for recourse, even if an exploit or anything were to happen. And the loan, now that it's collateralized by treasuries, is much less risky, right? It's the same kind of type of corporate loan to a market maker. But now if they don't repay the loan, the smart contract just sells their collateral and repays the lender automatically. So the argument is that it's much, much, much lower risk to the lender and, and therefore is uh, is even less uh, likely to be considered or deemed as, as a security and carry that transferability. Um, and then how does that tie in, you know, is that collateral um, accepted into Blueberry? Like how does that tie into Blueberry? So it doesn't really. Um, the thing is just that uh, a stable coin is produced as the end result. Um, so by lending to those corporate loans, the, the product is called uh, STTBY. The loans themselves are called TBYs. The rolling vault version, it's kind of like a USDC LST. It's called STTBY. That token can be used as collateral in Blueberry. It's a representation of a, a rolling vault or kind of a, a ETF, I guess. And I'm not going to call it an ETF. A rolling vault com- composed of those loans. And uh, and then, yeah, it it acts a lot like a stable coin, right? It appreciates versus USDC. It's one-to-one uh, redeemable for USDC. And uh and uh, can be used as collateral on Blueberry. Can also be used as a strategy, right? Where if you want to borrow, if the USDC rates at two or three percent, you can lever up like twenty x and purchase STTBY like five and a half percent and uh, make the spread. So, talk to us a little bit about what traders can do with the platform. So today it's just loans, but talk to us about some of the more complex strategies that are going to be possible on here. Um, so one of my favorites. This is not possible quite yet, but. Uh, is around Spark. So there's a fixed borrowing rate on Spark, right? And What's Spark? Uh, uh, Spark is like an Aave fork run by MakerDAO, where you have a fixed borrowing rate for DAI. And there's a lot of just common kind of major collateral assets as the collateral assets. Um, and one of the cool things about Blueberry is like we could offer a trade where, where or integrated trade where you can spring, string five protocols together, kind of like I talked about at the beginning, right? So, um, this is one of my favorites that will be ready in a few months where every lending market has a lot of wrap staked ETH on it, right? Because nobody borrows wrap staked ETH. Why would you? But it's a great collateral asset, right? And so there's usually billions of dollars sitting there on a money market. Um, so we're going to make a strat where you could collateralize with STTBY, right? And earn 5%, 5.5%, then borrow wrap staked ETH at like 25 or 30x leverage. And then use that wrap state ETH again as collateral on something like Spark, right? Where it's probably only costing you 0.5, maybe 1% interest on Blueberry because of the size of your borrow to borrow that wrap state ETH. And then maybe you're making 50 bips or 60 bips by collateralizing it again on Spark. But then you could buy die at, or sorry, borrow die at that fixed rate and go buy more SCTBY. Or do whatever your preferred trade is, but uh, it's kind of a way to get cheap leverage and use the borrowing rates on other money markets that might have more liquidity available and have crazy yields because it's a fully delta neutral trade. Um, that's one fun one we're excited about. But where's the liquidity coming uh, for the leverage? Like, where does it come from? Is it just looping, or uh, where where does it come from? It's uh, it's from Blueberry's money market. Interesting. Is that liquidity supplied from a different place or is that just from the users on the platform? From the users on the platform. So you could be a lender or you could be a borrower, right? So a lot of people will just passively lend and and uh, not use strategies, right? Interesting. And wh- wh- what does it look like to lend? Um, like what, what percentages are, are they receiving for that? So right now it's super high. Right now we're kind of launching with a lock drop event where there's a lot of emissions going on. Um, and also... One of the unique kind of design choices that we made is that because strategies for borrowing will be profitable by themselves, 
only the lenders get incentives. And then the incentives tokens are take revenues and buy back the token, right? So the idea is for to accrue the, the protocol to accrue value for the lenders from the borrowers' activity who are kind of making money uh, on their own. And uh, yeah. okay, I understand. Okay, keep going, keep going. For sure. So 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 yeah. Right now, as a lender, the, the yields are like all hundred percent plus. We're sitting at about five million TVL today. Um, and incentives will get even heavier in the second month, uh, starting a little bit later next week, um, and then after that month, the TGE will occur and. Uh, They'll taper off. I mean, they'll, they'll still be high for really the entire first year. Um, but uh, but yeah, lenders get all the incentives. Uh, interest rate curves in general are a little bit higher than you'd find on like Ave or Compound, even though I think there's a pretty strong argument that it's lower risk from an economic perspective because the places that borrowed money can go are limited by the platform. Um, and the risk is all understood rather than like completely custodial loans where they could do the most risky thing possible to, to the market, right? Like we saw with Avi Eisenberg, for example. Um, so I think there's some strong arguments there. So maybe the the lending rates will come down over time, but uh, because the borrowers can make more money, the lenders can make more money. And that's kind of the basic thought process there. By driving more capital efficiency, you can have better terms for both lenders and borrowers, make everybody more money. That's ultimately the goal of DeFi, right? Great. And uh, you have great developer docs. And I'm curious, what do you expect to see from the developers out there? What what kind of things uh, do you guys hope to see? Yes, yeah, so like that kind of crazy strategy I just described where you'd borrow wrap state ETH. I, I mean, I would love to just see people like put together custom strats like that, where even if you want to string 10 protocols together, right? As long as they're all trusted protocols, take some crazy arbitrage. And maybe it's all delta neutral. We could offer 30x leverage on it, right? Like I would love to see people get super creative and DGen with uh with these different strategies. Um, that's probably the main way to get involved if you are a developer. How uh how are you thinking about sort of developer marketing there? I think it's uh, you know, there's there's developers that can work on a bunch of things out there, but you know, sometimes they need inspiration. Um, and sometimes they need, you know, a good developer experience. How are you thinking about that as, as you're building out Blueberry? Full transparency. It's not like the hugest priority to start, right? Cause we kind of talked at the beginning, like you kind of have to have just full control at the beginning and, and just be smart enough to know what strategies people want. Um, but, uh, or, or at least be enough of a user, not smart enough to, to know what people want. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but one of the things I really want to do over time is develop like kind of a decentralized strategy committee of people that are super into DeFi and, and have them, like put out a weekly or, or bi-weekly report of like, here are the trades we think could be interesting. Here's some kind of bounty to go develop this strategy and we can implement it. Like here are our recommendations and uh, kind of get get things flowing in that way. Then, then hopefully that inspires more developers to kind of just get creative on their own if there's kind of some incentive out there and some tokens they can grab by doing so. It sounds like we need to free Avi Eisenberg. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> the... Uh... Most sophisticated financial innovator of the past year. <laughs> there used to be a lot of those type of guys in, in crypto. I feel like that's one of the things that's kind of disappeared over the last year since DeFi has died down so much. Like, there are so many individual guys that just like were kind of almost financial terrorists, but like just real, true. He followed the rules. Code is law, guys. You know, he yeah. followed the rules. I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the interesting thing about crypto is like, it's almost like it's not two dimensional. It's not three dimensional. It's like twelve dimensional to do something like that. Like you have to understand, um, well, crypto number one. Then you have to understand the DeFi protocols on crypto and the financial nuances that exist within them that are intertwined in the tech. And then you have to have you know a traditional finance understanding, and it's just so like dense. And, um, and so it's like, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of people that figure this stuff out, but people like yourself, uh, people like Avi, I hope you don't mind being in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, I think it takes some, some brains to really like figure that out and some focus, you know, to, to be able to make sure you're, you're managing your risk and it's going to work out. Yeah, I agree. And and I felt such a mixed range of emotions when a lot of those things were happening, right? Because it's like, on one hand, it's like, man, I feel for these protocol founders and all the users that lost their money. Like, God, no one could have seen that coming. 
but on the other hand, it's like, holy shit, you look into how it was accomplished. Like, oh my God, that was brilliant. <laughs> you got to kind of tip your hat to an extent. And, and then there's a philosophical aspect too, right? It's like, there is an argument that code is law. It's like, at what point, I mean, it quite literally is a law, but it's perfectly enforced. So it's like, at what point, where do you draw the moral line? I think it's under discussed, honestly. Um, people just assume that like every every time something functions not the way that people communicated it was supposed to, that something evil occurred. But sometimes like, I don't know, where do you draw the line? It's, it's, Nobel it's, prize or jail? <laughs> Nobel prize or jail? <laughs> <laughs> I I think um, the... The good and the bad thing about this this space is that everything happens publicly, and so it gets you know really emotional. So, I think one of the things that Avi was facing because I think he was making everything public ahead of time, right? Yeah, he announced everything he was going to do, and so you know another layer of complexity now. Well, everything was public, and everyone knew ahead of time what was going to happen. And I think on on the mango side, there's just you know when something like that happens, there's just so much emotion. But the protocol operated as intended. But there's emotion, you know, people were hurt. And so it's, yeah, it's just such a uh, odd phenomenon that only happens, I think, in the crypto space. And and maybe when people get publicly canceled. I don't know. Yeah. And, the, and the, just to add on to what you're saying, like, and I, I always try to be careful with what I say, but, but I mean, honestly, there's there's a lot of lending there were a lot of lending markets at that time that treated their own native token as collateral and mango did that to like an extreme extent right where and they're a low liquidity new altcoin right that doesn't really have there is no appropriate loan to value ratio to a prime to apply to that collateral asset right like like people need to understand that even in tradfi very liquid stocks get like maybe 20% loan to value ratios if you're borrowing against a stock like these are brand new tokens no way they should have high ltvs if an ltv at all Especially on an unrealized PL for for trading a perp on that asset. Um, and so who's really the scammer? You know, it's like who's really the scammer? Is it is it the team who did that? Or like, I mean, what they have certainly a big incentive to list their own token as a collateral asset and borrow against it and lever it up and pump the price. Who's the bad guy? You know, I don't think that gets talked about enough. Please don't expect uh web three developers to be scholars of traditional finance <laughs> that would be the ultimate crime <laughs> true. true but dude man there were like some lending markets on near back in the day that were like, like the, the token had like 100k liquidity and there was like 50 million dollars in the lending market and they had borrowing against their token at like 50 percent. i was like oh my god you're just asking to get stolen from yeah it, and another facet here is, you know, we're still experimenting in public and it's going to go on for like probably 10 more years before we figure out all the nuances of what's good to do, what's bad to do. Hopefully people uh, stick to the lessons that have been learned. But I think that's another thing. It's it's the first time this kind of stuff is going out there in the wild. And, um, you know, traditional markets, I don't know, it feels like the innovation was every, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, maybe that. <laughs> and uh and you know in, in crypto it's happening every week um and i i remember at some point it was like every three months there was some groundbreaking innovation um that you had to you had to learn because it was like new and and differentiated and was gonna you know change the space in a big way and now we have probably 10 times the amount of developers we had the the last cycle and so that innovation pace is just going to increase. It's just going to become more complex. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, do you, uh, you, we should all be going into this, I feel like, expecting things to go wrong. It would be, you know, dangerous to to not expect that. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know, are you optimistic about that too? Like, I think that's, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a great thing. Um, but, you know, Things like the mango market thing, I was like, yeah, I could see how that could happen when it happened. <laughs> you have like Bitcoin, Solana, Ethereum, very liquid. I mean, for crypto, very liquid markets. Mango, <laughs> the same, the same PNL. It's like, yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, it's like in, in a way we're we're financial pioneers, right? We're we're building this stuff right in front of us. We're using it, and it's it's rapidly evolving. And uh, you know, what did the American pioneers going east to west face? Was it all perfect the whole way and and sunny and happy? It's like no, there was like horrible things that that happened along the way, and you know, large groups were wiped out due to weather or illness or. And, um, and so it's going to happen here too. So we should, uh, go into the space with open eyes. It's like innovate. Yes. Uh, but be careful financially, um, because anything can happen. Oh, for sure. And what's, uh, what's life all about? If not a little bit of danger, you know, and, and, and take a little <laughs> bit of risk and, and mitigating it, figuring out how to solve for it. For sure. No risk, no reward. Um, and so, okay, so uh, great developer docs. Um, and for for folks that um, you want using Blueberry Protocol, uh, where should they be going first? And and what's the best way for for people to stay tuned with what's going on with you guys? Yeah, for sure. It's it's probably our Twitter, just uh, Blueberry FDN. Um, then our Discord is just uh, Discord.gg/blueberry. No, it's pretty easy to remember. Um, we have good mods. I hang out in the Discord like fairly often. If you ping me in the Discord, though, uh, I'm Dulu. I will uh, I will respond pretty quickly. I, I like when people ask like kind of complicated questions, like difficult questions. So I mean, I'll, I'll happy to answer whatever it is. If you want to reach out, and uh, we're just happy to talk strategy or whatever it is. Then um, we do once in a while. We do pretty comprehensive articles. If you want to like dive into the first principles, um, we do a good amount of like writing on that. On, on the principles behind it all too and like how liquidity works and things like that um, on our medium so great check out uh the blueberry website that's blueberry.garden uh check out the blueberry twitter at blueberry fdn sorry the blueberry x yes yes thanks Elon. check out their corporate x account at blueberry fdn discord.gg slash blueberry uh, Slater it was a pleasure having you here today and learning more about uh, blueberry uh, thanks for joining the friend zone appreciate your time man appreciate it